in us each day your life renew. Hymn 79, 1, 3, 4, and 5 after the sermon. Brothers and sisters, in and of Jesus Christ. We have a lot of choices, decisions to make in life, don't you think? And as I mentioned before the sermon, I mostly, I have to admit, I mostly had um, in my mind you young people. What courses do I take? Should I go to college, university, or not? Do I want to go the way of an apprenticeship? Do I work? Etc., etc. And then let's say we do decide to go to university. The choices aren't done yet. What should I study? Engineering or lepidopterology? I almost didn't say it. That's the study of butterflies, for those of you who might not know. What field can I better use those talents that God has given me? And so, yeah, I often feel for you young people, there are just so many options available as well. And it seems to me the pressure to decide what they will do is coming at an earlier and earlier age. And it's true, so yeah, I was thinking of the young people, and, and it is very true that it does seem to be that there's this phase in your lives when there seems to be a lot of these life choices. I haven't even mentioned other very important things. Professing your faith. Making a decision on whether or not to be involved or to date uh, him or her. But then it also occurred to me that it's not only when we're young that we are faced with with decisions where we might be wondering what God's will for our lives is. A job offer can come along. An opportunity to move to some other place. Even things like sudden riches. What do we do with the money that God has given us? Our time. Or there are those times when things happen that are beyond our control sometimes. An illness. Being let go. And suddenly there you are. Now what, Lord? I thought I was following Your will for my life. Where are You sending me now? I think it's fair to say that whether we are young or older, the question does come up in our minds. And for some of us, it can be a real, real and a sincere, a genuine struggle. How do we know what God's will is for our lives? And it's not completely surprising, is it? We know we are stewards of what God has given us, that we will be held accountable even. We long to hear those beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter to the joy of your Master. No, our desire to follow God's will for our lives in and of itself is not a bad thing. But it's important that we clear up any misconceptions about what is meant by the will of God. Because we really do have to be careful when we talk about God's will for our lives. It is true that the Bible speaks of His will, but we also sometimes bring in our own conclusions that can become quite confusing. 
Now, generally, most agree that there are three ways to interpret the term the will of God. Kevin DeYoung, in his book, also explains this well, by the way. First, there is the clear teaching that all things happen according to God's will. Or we could say, according to His eternal purpose, His plan. See, then we are talking about how God has ordained this decree, and everything He has decreed will come to pass. We find an example of this use in Ephesians 1. God works all things according to the counsel of His will. Basically, what God wills will happen. And this is a comfort to us because that means nothing that happens happens outside of God's marvelous and eternal plan or purpose. It is all part of His will. A second way the term will of God is used is when the Bible talks about what God has commanded us. What He desires of us. What we ought to be like and do. Here's just one of many examples. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of My Father in heaven. In this case, the will of our Father simply refers to how we are called to be obedient, to live as God wants us to. And then there's also a third way that we sometimes talk about the will of God, and that is in the sense of what direction, or we could say what path God would have us go down. If we believe that in His providence, God has a very specific and a wonderful plan for each and every one of us. We believe that, right? So what is it? How can I know I'm choosing the right path? See, then we are thinking about figuring out God's will for us as kind of like being in a maze. I don't know if you've been to the corn maze lately, You know what they're like with with many dead ends. And there's only one right path that will lead us to the exit. Only when we find that path will we experience the peace and joy that God intends for us. As you can imagine, this is a dangerous way to think, brothers and sisters. That is not the kind of God we have. God doesn't leave His children hanging. Rather, He gives us everything we need to live as His child. We have His revealed will for how we ought to live and obey Him. And then He gives us the freedom to decide how we will use the gifts that He has given us all to further His kingdom. We have the promise that He will be always be with us. And if all that were not enough, He promises to give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And that's what I'd like to explore some more this afternoon.
What we are told about seeking and receiving wisdom, and then, yeah, how that relates to decision-making and also God's will for us. We will do that by digging deeper into these first six verses of Proverbs 2. And I just follow the structure of the text. We will see in our first point that we do have an important role to play. We are called to believe, to listen, to pray, and search for wisdom. And then in the final two verses of our text, we'll see how we are clearly taught that when we do this, we can know, we can trust that the Lord will give us wisdom. That'll be our second point, God's promise. I will give you wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And so, brothers and sisters, I preach to you God's Word using this main thought or theme, again, out of the text. It is the Lord who gives us wisdom. Let's begin then by seeing how we have an important role to play. Well, what better place to turn to if we want to learn about wisdom than the book of Proverbs? As we read, the first chapter clearly states its purpose to know wisdom and instruction, to receive instruction in wise dealing, or we could say in wise behavior, to give knowledge and discretion to the youth. And we can see as we read through Proverbs 2 how wisdom is obviously central to being able to live faithful lives. And it's directly linked to making wise choices. A number of times it talks about going the right path. And so first then, let's understand what is meant by wisdom. Often we tend to think of wisdom that it has to do with our intellect or how smart we are. But biblical wisdom is so much more than having all the answers. Verse 5 points us in a different direction. Wisdom is understanding the fear of the Lord and finding the knowledge of God. Understanding the fear of the Lord and finding the knowledge of God. That's wisdom. Wisdom is more about knowing and revering God, having insight and understanding. Wisdom is about being able to be God-centered in all our life. It means walking in His ways and living a life of humble obedience. That's wisdom. And how thankful we can be then that we are instructed in our text how to receive wisdom. I'm guessing you noticed as we read the chapter that it follows this if-then structure. If you receive my words, if you make your ear attentive to wisdom, yes, if you call out for insight, etc., then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Then you will understand every good path. You see, what this kind of structure teaches us that certain conditions are to be met. And then we can trust that the Lord will give us wisdom. And so let's dive in and have a look, a closer look at what our role is. First of all, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you. 
Remember how this chapter began? My son, if you... In other words, these instructions are coming to us in the form of a father addressing his child. Brothers and sisters, we know how the Bible is inspired by this Holy Spirit. Well, this allows us to understand these words as coming from our Father in heaven, speaking directly to us, His children. My words, then, are the very words spoken by God. My commandments are the commands of God. And notice... Receiving and treasuring up God's Word is first on the list. Let's not gloss over this important part of receiving wisdom. I wonder, do we delight in God's law? Do we delight in His Word enough? I'm not asking this to guilt us. Just as a valid self-reflection, just think of how many of the psalmists talk about delighting in God's Word or in His law. Time doesn't allow me to go through all the examples, but you know what I'm talking about. How God's law is sweeter than honey even. Maybe today we'll say it's sweeter than cotton candy. The, the God's law revives the soul. And yes, we can think of Psalm 1, which is why I chose to sing it. How blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates and ponders on it, not once, not once a week, day and night. Let's be encouraged to receive, to accept God's Word, to really treasure them up, to store them up, to turn to His commandments, to delight in them. Let's allow His words to be absorbed and soaked into our minds. I think that's the point here. The more we read and reread and ponder and study God's Word, the more we get to know the Bible and become familiar with our Father's words, with who He is and His commands. As I read somewhere, God wants us to drink so deeply of the Scriptures that our heads and our hearts are transformed so that we love what He loves and we hate what He hates. It becomes like second nature to us. The Bible isn't just a manual where we're going to find a specific answer to whatever dilemma we are facing. That's because God's more interested in our transformation. You can think of how Paul strongly urges and encourages the Romans in this way. If you were here last week, this is very familiar to you. I urge you to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. Brothers and sisters, the Gospel 
really does change us. It transforms our thinking and we get something even better than the answers to our questions written out in the clouds. We get wisdom. Let's continue seeing how this is possible as there are more ifs. If you make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline or turn your heart to understanding. Making your ear attentive is like the call to be aware. To have your ears ready to listen for wisdom when it comes. Here we see how we are told to open up our hearts and ears, not only to God's Word, but also in a more general sense. One one example is this can include being open and open to and seeking advice and counsel from others. When God's word does not easily provide the answers we are looking for, it is wise to also listen to be attentive to other believers. Listen to some other proverbs that that encourage seeking advice. Again, there's there's a number of them. We read one, let the wise, is chapter 1, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the one who understands receive guidance. Another one, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise person listens to advice. Brothers and sisters, whether you're young people or older, Are you ready and willing to listen? Are you open to receiving advice? Are you teachable? It's especially good to think about this being aware that we live in a culture that is very much um, individualistic focusing on the, on, on the individual. But God did not save you all on your own on an island somewhere. You are redeemed. You are saved as part of a community of believers. And so if you're having difficult making, difficulty making a decision, but not only that, if you simply have questions or doubts, don't be afraid to seek advice. We can learn from each other and help each other along. There is wisdom out there ready to be found. Yes, we are to receive, treasure God's Word, turn our ear and attentive to wisdom, and then we are also told to call out for insight or discernment, to raise our voice for understanding. Isn't it interesting that Crying out and or or praying, we could say, to God isn't the first thing we are tasked with doing. That's what we might have expected, no? But you see, God gives us His word, and He places us in a community, and we are encouraged to make use of that. But then we also have to know and understand that in the end. It is the Lord Himself who is giving us wisdom. That is why 
we pray. But what do we pray for, you might wonder? Revelation? A sign? A strong feeling about something? A light bulb moment? Well, here I'd like to share with you some suggestions from that book I mentioned from Kevin DeYoung. Found them very helpful. First of all, we should pray for what is often called illumination. We're asking God to open up our minds and our hearts so that we can understand His Word to us. And then, yes, secondly, we pray for wisdom itself. Listen to God's promise as we hear it in the letter of James. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So yes, we also pray for wisdom. And then we simply need to believe this, brothers and sisters. When we ask, if you feel you lack lack wisdom, ask God for it. And then when we ask, we trust that He will give it to us. And then finally, it is also good to pray for more of all those things that we already know are God's will for us. These include things like having pure motives, having the right attitude, trusting in God, having faith and obedience. We pray for more of that. And so yes, let's never forget to pray for wisdom. And then there is one more if before we get to the thens. If you seek it, that is wisdom, understanding, insight, what have you. If you seek this like silver and search for it like hidden treasures. When I read this, I think, wow. God sure knows us, doesn't he? Since the fall into sin to this very day, what has humankind sought after above all else. Okay, along with maybe long life and honor or fame. Is it not silver? Gold? Money? Hidden treasures? That's why Solomon was such an exception. And we are even specifically told that God was pleased that Solomon asked for a discerning mind, for wisdom rather than long life or riches. And Jesus, too, when He was on this earth, also often used this pursuit of silver in His teaching. We can wonder if Jesus maybe had this particular proverb in mind when He compared the kingdom of heaven to a treasure hidden in a field. A man found it. He quickly covered it up. And in his joy, he went and sold everything he had so that he could buy that field. It is with that kind of passion and enthusiasm and joy that we are called to seek wisdom. 
Or as Jesus also said, getting down to the real issue, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But it's not only the fact that when we value something, we will eagerly seek it that is being raised with this comparison. There's also the idea that that effort that we put in, the work, yes, it may be demanding, but it's going to heap great rewards. Just like a search for hidden treasures, it requires commitment, planning, sacrifices, effort, and work. But then, when found, a huge reward. So too with wisdom. Let's not just sit around waiting for it to come fall out of the skies. Proverbs 2 teaches us how we are to be active in seeking wisdom, and that when we do the work, the reward will be great. We'll see this in our second point. God promises that He will give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And don't worry, the second point of the sermon need not, nor will it be long, It hardly needs further explanation. It speaks for itself. Listen, because we're now at the then part of the if-then equation. Beginning at verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. This is a really simple message. God has revealed to us how His desire is that we diligently, faithfully seek wisdom, but lest we start thinking that we can achieve wisdom all on our own. No. We are in no uncertain terms reminded that it is only the Lord who can give us wisdom. And brothers and sisters, though I said there's not much I need to add, I do need to point out one thing. Because in the meantime, we have so much more revealed to us. And I think this is pretty cool. Let's call it the Gospel according to Proverbs. What do I mean? Well, here's something for us to think and ponder over. We read in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians that we are in Jesus Christ, who is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. Or as another translation puts it, for our benefit, God made Him, that is Christ, to be wisdom itself. Wow! Does that not just blow you away? Wisdom isn't some abstract concept. It is personified in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is wisdom. And that 
gives us a whole new meaning to God giving us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And if you would just bear with me, I'd like to share with you some more of the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Proverbs. This time from Colossians. And as I read this, I'm going to ask you to take note of how many words you recognize from Proverbs 2. Paul is again encouraging his readers. And then he writes, he encourages them that they might have the full riches of complete understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Did you get them all? Understanding, knowledge, twice. Hidden treasures, wisdom. What does this all mean? Well, this is the Gospel. It is in Jesus Christ that we will find that treasure we're seeking. Wisdom. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, truly we can see and confess that wisdom is given to us by God. Through His Word, through His Son, and by the Holy Spirit, we have already all that we need to live according to His will. Let's conclude. Come to the end now. And I realize that it's entirely possible that I'm going to go against what I was told in seminary. I'm not supposed to assume what you're thinking. But I was thinking it's entirely possible that you might be thinking, okay, but I still don't know if I should be an engineer or a lepidopterologist. I still don't know what God's will is for my life. Well, then this would be a good time to share a little secret with you. Because actually, God does tell us exactly what His will for us is. One place we find that is in 1 Thessalonians. Paul is encouraging his readers in how they ought to walk and please God. And he reminds them, they know, don't forget that, they know, we could say the Bible, or in this case he says, you know the instructions you received through Jesus. And then he writes, for this is the will of God for you. Your sanctification which is then followed by a whole list of practical examples. It really doesn't get more straightforward than that, does it? There you go. This is God's will for your and for my life. Our Father has set us apart so that we can grow more and more to be like Christ. That 
is His will and a guide, our guide. And here's another aspect of God's will for you and I found in the next chapter of the same letter. Again, in the context of urging and encouraging His readers how to live. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for us? Simple. That we live joyful, prayerful, thankful. Christ, and then I'm going to add here, Christ-infused and Holy Spirit-powered lives. That is God's will for us. And so no, let's not think of God's will for our lives as a particular path that we have to somehow figure out. Or as Kevin DeYoung explains it, I really like this quote, so I'm going to quote him here. I'll mix it in with some of my own words. God is not a magic eight ball. And actually, as I read that when I was preparing, I was thinking, thinking my age here. Some of you younger people might not even know what a magic eight ball is, but it was, it was this thing that was, it became popular, I think, in the 70s and the 80s. Looked like an eight ball for pool. You would shake it, and then it would give you an answer. And then yes, no. Wikipedia says there was ten yeses, five I don't knows, and five knows. So you can, you can guess what uh, your chances are. Anyways, he uses that as an example. He says, God is not a magic eight ball that we can just shake up and then we peer into it whenever we have a decision to make. He is a good God who gives us brains He shows us the way of obedience. He even invites us to take risks for Him. For Him. We know God has a plan for our lives. That's wonderful. That's such a comfort. The problem comes when we think it's our job to figure it out somehow. But this kind of preoccupation in finding God's will, he writes, is more folly and freedom. There's a much better way. It is the biblical way. Seek first the kingdom of God. And He promises He's going to take care of all the rest. All our needs. And as we saw today, seek and search for wisdom like you would go after silver or a hidden treasure. Then you will find that it is the Lord who really does give Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Let me end with a prayer for you. Brothers and sisters, young, old, whatever circumstances you're in. And I'm borrowing from one of Paul's prayers to the Colossians. May God fill you, each and every one of you, with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way while you continue to grow in the knowledge of God.
Amen.